On this episode of Video Culture, we'll talk Emilio Estevez with Repo Man and Minute Work. There was also a technical error in recording with my microphone. My apologies to all our listeners. Please enjoy our show. Did you rewind it? I don't know. In a time where everyone has a podcast. In a place where everyone has an opinion. Two heroes, Matthew and Ryan, against all odds, are here to save your movie viewing experience from total disaster. Your trip through the video aisles of yesteryear begins now. There will be chills, there will be thrills, and there's a good chance that Ryan will have a coffee spill. They'll discuss the quality, cultural significance, and more detail, frankly, than you bargained for. Here's your host, Ryan Acri and Matthew Essery. And welcome to another episode of Video Culture. I'm your host, Ryan Acri. And I'm Matthew Essery. And this week we decided to uh, feature one of the Brat Pack originals, Emilio Estevez. Yeah, to or, me he's just a, he's just a guy. When I think of like video store movies, I think of like Young Guns. I think of Minute Work. I think of Repo Man. Uh, he's I mean, just to me he's one of those guys who makes me think of like video store culture. Well, I mean, he has been in uh, some movies that we've already talked about. Uh, I mean, he was in. Um, well, now, now my mind is drawing a blank. Uh, he was in The Outsiders, right? That's that's true. Yeah, he is a video culture alumnus. You can hear our episode about The Outsiders and the Warriors on our website, uh, video-culture.com. And actually, I found out in doing my research. I'll just go ahead and say this now about The Outsiders. Is something that I did not know or did not mention is that he was the one who actually came up with the idea of wearing the uh, the Mickey Mouse shirt. That you know his character should have. Uh, you know, like a thing. So he, you know, that's why he's wearing the the Mickey Mouse t shirt, which is pretty iconic in the Outsiders movie for sure. Right. Uh, so I mean, that that's what gave his character a little more, uh, you know, depth or whatever. Um. So, but I mean, that's uh. But obviously, everybody should know that he is the brother of Charlie Sheen and son of actor Martin Sheen. And Emilio did not change his name. Actually, matter of fact. Martin Sheen is the one who uh, changed his name. Uh, Martin Sheen is actually, what is his actual name? Ramon Antonio Gerardo Estevez. Mm -hmm. So, and then he changed his name to Martin Sheen as a street name. And then when when Emilio became an actor, he said, I don't want to just follow the coattails. I want to be, you know, my own person. The same way of like Nicolas Cage changed his name, like his drop the Coppola name. And, um, you know, so but but this way he felt like it was original. And Martin has later gone on to say, you know, now I, I feel like I never should have changed my name. Well, and I say Emilio Estevez. I mean, that, that's a great sounding name. It's got, that, it's got that, you know, that kind of sing songy quality to it. It sounds good. It's memorable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it, it feels good to say it. And it, and it sticks out to you when, when you when you see it written out. 
right? And uh, but he was let's see, um, what what other movies that he was in? He was in well, he was in Apocalypse younger. Now. You're uh, about but his scenes were deleted. Emilio was was in Apocalypse Now, but his scenes were deleted. Yeah, I did not know that. As he a messenger had, boy, huh? But yeah, he he was in yeah again Young Guns one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a pretty memorable scene in the opening of the original Mission Impossible film. Yep. Um, Breakfast Club, Saint Elmo's Fire, Stakeout, Young Guns, Young Guns Two. Uh, he was in the Loaded Weapon, which was like that spoof comedy. Lo- Loaded Weapon <laughs> is a very very funny movie. I wish that movie would get re released on DVD or. Blu-ray or or 4K, you know, Ultra HD. Mm-hmm. That movie is an undiscovered comedic masterpiece. Almost, it's one of the best of the parody genre films. Oh yeah, oh definitely. It is. If if you like, you know, buddy comedy, uh, you know that that is the spoof like buddy comedy uh, movie, um, for sure. And then also the Mighty Ducks. Like a yeah, lot of they, our audience yeah, we, knows them as. The coach of the ducks, right? Yeah, he's had a kind of a career resurgence now because they're now doing that Disney Plus sequel series where he's back as the coach. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's not my thing, but I know a lot of people love it. I mean, I mean, I'm, and I'm happy that he's working. Like, he's one of those guys that I really do like as a creative. So I'm glad that he's back in the public eye. Well, I mean, that's that's basically how he was able to trans. Uh, you know, uh, very few. You know, there's like Rob Lowe and like him, and um, but there's others like in the Brat Pack that didn't have as much of success. Uh, like after those years, um, but because of the Mighty Ducks, um, he's done some other things. Um, so, but let's talk about. So, but er, very early on in his career, there's this movie that we that we watched and we talked about called Repo Man. Now he did Which, it after The Outsiders was in uh, 1983, and then this was basically the next movie that he did after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is actually a movie that I'm incredibly fond of because. Uh, well, I know. I think we've mentioned it on, on before, but I, I'm a, I, I'm basically an aging punk rocker. I grew up loving punk music, yeah. And this is considered like the the punk like narrative film. All right. Yeah. I mean the se- the the sex uh, or the um, circle jerks are in this movie, right? Like yeah. The actual like band, well. punk band, the circle jerks. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Keith Morris and Chuck Biscuits are in it uh, as as a lounge act, but the soundtrack is credited with bringing punk. To mainstream because mm. the, the soundtrack has like Iggy Pop, Fear, the Circle Jerks, and that that, that, that and uh, Black Flag, Henry Rollins' Black Flag, yeah, the better narration, and uh, it basically brought punk to like the mall, mm. for like a better word. It was still kind of an underground thing. Punk wasn't really a known quantity in the mm. early '80s, right. and the soundtrack really changed that. Yes, and there were other movies too that I felt like featured kind of like punk culture uh you know but not in a very direct way like it like in this movie you know what i mean well, um and even like more, even like uh, armed and even like armed and dangerous had some like you know punk characters it was it was always super exaggerated and don't right. get me wrong repo man is very heightened it's very it's very like it's, it's very cartoony it's very abstract but the actual way that punks are are shown in the in the movie is very indicative to how punk culture was at the time, as far as how they dressed, how they spoke to each other. It wasn't all just blue mohawks and, and like chains on, on their blue jeans and stuff like that, right? Um, like look like they just came from the set of Road Warrior or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and the entire mentality of the movie is very punk rockish. I mean, 
and we'll get into what the movie's actually about in a moment. But like, there's a lot of, like little details where, um, like when you go into a store, like all the products just have generic labels. It'll be like a white label that just says beer, mm-hmm. or a white label that says potato chips. Yeah, because it's kind of punk is kind of it's kind of this anti-commercial movement, and the director is a guy named Alex Cox. Yeah, he was very big into that scene. He actually did in one of the other great punk films, which is the biography of uh, Sid Vicious called Sid and Nancy, that right. introduced Gary Oldman to to the world. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was written and directed. Uh, Repo Man was uh, written and directed by uh, by Alex Cox. Uh, he also Alex Cox also wrote the original screenplay for Fear and Loathing before it got you know cut up and and by Terry Gilliam. But um, also too, I want to make sure that our audiences know that uh, there is another movie that was made in 2011 called Repo Men. M E N the plural. But it's it's uh, this is Repo Man from 1984, and yes. you can see that the cover definitely has Emilio Estevez, it's a punk rocker with his like you know downtown, uh, you know scene. So it's very obvious about what what it's about, um, and not the Repo Men that was made in 2011, which. Uh, I forgot who stars. Uh, it's uh, Jude Law and Forrest yeah, Whitaker. Right. It, oddly, they're both science fiction films, but uh, mm-hmm. but two. But they, besides that, they couldn't be any more different. Um, right. And so, and also, the executive producer of this movie is none other than a guy from the Monkees, Michael mm-hmm. Nesmith. Yep the the guy with the hat. <laughs> right. Yeah, the tall dude whose mom invented Whiteout. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Michael Nesmith, of course, is, is a big music guy. So again, that's another reason. The movie to me is so synonymous to me with musical scenes, right? Because um, to me, that's almost like I said. To me, it's just a it's just a pure movie that embodies the spirit of a kind of like the "screw you, I won't do what you tell me" quality yes. of punk and punk rock music. Well, I mean, the uh, whole the, the opening scene is basically, you know, Emilio Estevez is playing this guy uh, named Otto. And him and his buddy are, are, you know, working in this grocery store, just like stacking cans. And the manager, you know, comes up to Otto and basically starts, you know, yelling at him about, what was it, like showing up late or doing something? Show, show, showing up late and not spacing the cans properly. Yeah, I'm not spacing the cans properly. And he's just like, you know, just just goes out in a very, you know, just, just basically doesn't say I quit, but basically... There's no way that somebody's going to keep that person hired after what he did, right? So, yeah. um, and well, be- well before yeah. we get too far into the weeds about it, what is Repo Man actually about, Ryan? So I found a couple of very long descriptions that were were more complicated than they actually said, and this was the, the one line. It, it, it's actually just uh, almost like one sentence: a young punk recruited uh, a young punk recruited by a car's repossession agency finds himself in pursuit of a Chevy Malibu that is wanted for a $20,000 bounty and has something otherworldly stashed in its trunk. That's That sums it up very well. I mean, I, I, I was like, that's basically it. There's just this weird... There's just a, like a lot of things going on in the surface all at once where you jump around. Like, there's part of his, you know, sort of dialogue going on of figuring out where he's going, right? Where Otto is yeah. going in life and then meeting all of these odd characters. 
uh, like Harry Dean Stanton, the guy that introduces him to this whole, you know, repo, uh, you know, repo man world. He plays like a guy named Bud. And then all the other characters that work for the repo agency, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and like, then, like the like the great Tracy like the great Tracy Walters. I can't think of the character's name, but he's like this this Miller. spacey kind of burn. He's this spacey kind of burnout character. You guys don't know Tracy Walters from uh, from you know Batman eighty nine and several things like that. He played Bob the Goon in Batman eighty nine. Mm-hmm. He's he's one of the very familiar that guy character actors. Yeah, he plays a guy named Miller. Miller, uh, that's his name. Yeah, yeah, because all the characters are named after beer like there's that's true yeah light and miller and you know like well well and and auto is is kind of is one of the things that's often used for the word blotto which is a which is a which is a a slang term for getting drunk so yeah so Um, it's all kind it's all kind of tied around uh because again uh beer culture was big in the early punk scene especially on on the west coast mm -hmm. uh, which is where this movie is set Right, uh, but you're right. Bud uh, kind of brings Otto into this Repo Man culture, kind of tricks him into doing the job, and then basically takes someone as, a, as an apprentice and shows mm-hmm. him the ropes. So you get a little bit of these vignettes of them basically re- repossessing cars, but at the same time, there's a subplot about this car that's uh, got something otherworldly in the trunk that it's apparently radioactive or an alien. It's never quite said what it is. Well, except that it's glowing and it's dangerous. I, I actually lied earlier. I said the opening scene was Otto in the grocery store, and, and that's incorrect. The actual opening scene is this guy, you know, who looks like he's, you know, like a G-Man or something like that, and, you know, driving this 1964 four-door Chevy Malibu, in the middle of the Mojave Desert, he gets pulled over by my, uh, a, um, a motorcycle cop. Motorcycle cop asks him what's in the trunk. He, you know, the guy says, "You don't want to go. In, you don't want to look in there." He says, "You know," the cop says, "Give me the keys." He opens up the trunk. And as soon as he opens up the trunk, this bright bright light happens, and then he's, you know, just disintegrated, and there's nothing but boots, you know, sitting there on the ground. Yeah, so you're like, it, and it, instead of the kind of cool little animated thing where you see the guy's skeleton and the boats are and the, and the boots are smoking, yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty cool lo-fi effect and it really sets the tone for the movie very well. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so there's that thing happening in the background, this weird thing, this Malibu, and then the guy just drives off, right? And then yeah. Um. So that sets the whole tone for the movie. I mean, those two scenes like back to back, just like, just like pull you in and are like. What, what is actually happening here? What is going on? You know? Yeah, it's it's sort of like this 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 commentary or almost parody of like vapid LA culture mixed with like uh, vignettes of like of like the seedier side of LA. Yeah. Crossed with like this weird science fiction back uh, B plot, and they and all this is kind of just kind of intersect and kind of curve around each other and make a movie that's really. Hard to explain. I mean, the logline you read was a very, you know, good synopsis of what the movie's actually about. Yeah. But to really explain Repo Man, it's kind of hard. Yeah. Super, 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 like, high concept, like, kind of type of stuff, for sure. It's like, I don't I don't really know uh, what to make of it. Uh, like, and it, all, the, like all of the characters, too, are just like that you that you all meet and, and how it all, uh, you know, transpires. And... Uh, so, because he meets the girl who wants to find the Malibu, and then the Malibu he realizes like is you know coming in, 
because he's you know he he hears about it. But then after that, like his the guys, uh, you know, teaching him the ropes. Like Bud is like he wants that so he can go solo, so he can have his own, you know, car lot and you know repo shop or whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah and, just like, and, the, and, the, and there's rival repo gangs and you know <laughs> right. Oh yeah, the other the other gangs. Like like, the, yeah. like there's car, there's car chases and there's gunfire and yeah the car chase it was like something out of like Greece or something like that where they're in yeah. like the uh, the viaduct like you know racing side by side or whatever yeah well it's like they say at the end of the movie the life of a repo man is always intense you know right it's uh, it's it's but it's such a unique movie and it's a movie that that, that when I first saw it I I was very puzzled by it uh, when I was younger like because it is so hard to explain it doesn't fit into any one box. But to me, that, that I always find myself again, like a lot of these things, I find myself thinking about it, and I, I go, I'll, I'll go back and revisit it every few years. And every time I watch it again, I like it a little more. It feels more understandable to me. And now, so now I don't just vibe with it. I always like the vibe of it, but now I just feel like I kind of get the movie, and I just enjoy it on every level it's intended. But that's because I've seen it four or five times now at this point. Well, I, and I was still confused. I mean, I've never seen this movie, never watched this movie when it came out. I sat and watched this movie for this show because I'm like, I, I know it's like a cult classic and I know that a lot of people love it. And it's not that I don't, you know, love it. It's just, but the first time, if you've never seen it, you watch it and you go, what, what is happening? Like even the ending, you don't really feel like there's like a huge like resolve at all. It doesn't really, it doesn't really have an ending, which I think again is, uh, again, it goes back to being very kind of punk for lack of a better word. I mean, you know, it's not gonna. It's not gonna be conventional. It's not gonna be no. easy to under easy to understand. Not that the movie's like 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 overly heady. It's kind of it's kind of lowbrow to be honest with you. The whole movie's. Mm-hmm. If I can explain it one way, it's 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 kind of a lowbrow movie about big ideas. <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it. I, I mean, I've I've seen it and I agree. I mean, if you've never seen yeah. it, then you would think, how is that possible? But but it is. I mean, realize that it's about the punk culture and this this repo culture. And uh, I mean, there's never. There, I don't think there's very many movies about you know the repo culture itself, right? No, uh, I mean, so. it's, I mean, it's pretty much it's pretty much this. Um, right. And uh, I mean, there's not really a, a lot of great movies that really that really epitomize what what punk is actually like. I mean, you have things, things like SLC punk. Mm-hmm. And you know you got a few like like Hollywood t- attempts at doing a a movie that's that's you know punk rock, but uh, like that terrible movie about CBGBs where they tried to do like a biography of the guy who ran CBGBs, right? Um, but none of them really none of them really had the vibe and the tone and understood what it meant to be that. But again, Alex Cox, yeah, unless did. you and, unless you understand like Dog the Bounty Hunter, I mean, then you kind of then you kind of get it, right? Like you go, oh, that's yeah. what Repo Man does. That's what how dangerous like the situation is or whatever but um yeah but i mean but i mean again it's not even really being about it's not really really being about even be, about being a repo man repo man is just kind of like window dressing on the film it's to it's give almost, the character re- right it's almost like that's the secondary plot versus the you know whatever whatever's in this trunk or whatever right like well the, to me like i've got i've got a i've got a friend i talked to on twitter a lot his name is brandon strusnick okay and uh he he's a film writer, a film critic, and we often talk about the idea that movies should be about not so much about plots as much as they are about vibes, like the way a movie makes wow. you feel. 
Okay. Not necessarily not, what the, mo- it's not about. the movie vibes. No, not 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 not. We're not talking about like Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper. No, no. Uh, okay, you thought so. you were going to trip me up with that one, didn't you? But yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. No, uh, but no, but that's a, to me. People get too hung up on what movies are about, and not how movies make you feel. Mm. And to me, what's actually what Reap Man's actually about is very very secondary. Maybe it'd be tertiary. To how it makes me feel, and and the vibe it reminds me of. Well, we we talk a lot about this uh, on the show about you know style, like you know this, you know certain movies have a certain you know style to them, and this one definitely does. Uh, you just don't know a lot of where it's coming from. Now, first off, you have to remember like we're watching it from you know or at least I'm watching it from the you know way back in 2021, right? And this was made in, like, 1983. Um, so, yeah, there's certain things, like, in the culture that are, like, a little bit different. Um, so, because, like, you know, some of the some of the things that, that uh, Otto does, you're like, there's no way that he's getting away with that in the 90s or even the 2000s, right? Like... No. And, and it's kind of kind of okay, kind of, like, laugh off, kind of like, okay, he's just doing whatever... But, like, that kind of stuff would be unacceptable, you know, like, you know, uh, now or whatever. But it's still, you know, there's a lot of guns, there's shoot-ups, there's, like, people getting, you know, uh, stores getting robbed and people getting shot at. I mean, and Otto's not necessarily necessarily a character you want to be like. He's kind of, he's a dirtbag. I mean... You know, you, you like him because you're you're the one who's kind of following along with him, so you're seeing the movie from his perspective. But he's not really a, a person you'd want to be friends with, you know? Mm-mm. No, uh, or really, or really any of these characters, really. I mean, yeah, they're all pretty. They're all pretty seedy on their own level, right? Yeah, but, and the enjoyment really comes from watching them be seedy in a world that's seedy, uh, mm-hmm. and and how they're how they're going to kind of outsmart or, or kind of work their way around this kind of weird like punk sci-fi world that they're in and i keep using the phrase sci-fi but even the one thing they gotta keep in mind is the sci-fi element is really low-key in this i mean it's not like mm. it's not like there's ray guns or like you know like or anything like that it's a it's it's only sci-fi in the loosest sense of the world of the word science fiction to me it's almost like a graphic novel come to life it, it like a sci-fi graphic novel because it has all of those, like, you know, like, dark elements and all that kind of stuff. And then, like, you know, and then and then you have this, like, weird, like, sci-fi element in, mixed into all of it, too. That's also... Yeah, like, like, the, like there's a lady with, with, with a robot hand for some reason. And you've got these, like, government cleaning teams going around, like, setting things on fire with, like, flamethrowers. But, but, but none of this is really brought to the forefront of the movie. It's just kind of, like, background. Right. And... Well, but on top of but on top of that, it's still got kind of the snotty, kind of sneering, kind of, kind of, you know, I'm going to tell you a dirty joke and kind of, kind of like donkey laugh about it. That's sort of that's sort of the vibe of of Repo Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and let's talk about the robot hand too, which is really just like a metal glove, right? Let's just be honest. Well, you know, <laughs> it's a it's a very it's like, very inexpensive very yeah. inexpensive film. Very expensive, yes, very much so. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what to. Uh, I don't know what to say about it other than um, than than how how real it is. It, it, it never. 
it never really feels like fake or pretentious. That's all I have to say, really. Yeah, for a movie that's not in any way set in reality, it feels very honest. Mm-hmm. But you can't. I think, like I said, I think that one of the better ways to say it is uh, you can't really expect it to be about anything. Though it's mm-hmm. about a lot of things, but it doesn't, it doesn't really care to convey any of what it's actually about. No. It just wants to drop you into this world with these characters and let you kind of hang out with them. Yeah. You're really just hanging out with these characters as these weird things happen around them. Yeah. And you you, you either dig that or, or you'll find it maddening. Um, this is really a movie that I think is a grower. Like It's one that you have to come back to every now and then and, and rewatch to really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um like I said, it's, it's it's been with me for for probably twenty five years of my life, so I look at it differently than you who who have just seen it. Right. Um, but if you like punk music, if you if you like West Coast, like early like late seventies, early eighties punk rock music, mm. it's you got to see it because that brought this stuff to the mainstream. Like no one knew who Fear no, Fear was not big mm. until this movie. Like Black Flag was not big until this film. Mm. I mean, it really brought this stuff to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Well, and Iggy Pop too was uh, really struggling with his career. Uh, it's true, too. yeah. Uh, when, when, uh, but when this movie came out, like uh, that was one of the things. I don't think I put it in the notes, but I remember reading it that um, uh, that basically um, uh, what's his name uh, Alex Cox asked um, Iggy Pop to do something, and he said, "Uh." You know, he was just like he was kind of in a weird place in his career, and he was just like, "No, you get to do whatever you want to do, and you know, you don't have the record label or any of this other stuff telling you anything." And he he really appreciated that, and that really helped you know helped his career grow as well. Like within some of that scene, um, within that underground punk scene. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was it's definitely one of those. This is would you say this is probably one of the 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 cultiest cult movies that we've done? I I would put it up there with with Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension as the most indecipherable films that we've talked about. As far as like a lot of these movies, I feel like I could show to people and have them get it. Like I mean, yeah. I can show people a lot of these things and they would understand what it is. But I feel like if you, if you show a person cold Repo Man, they'll be like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> And but it's one of the movies where you know if you show it to someone and they and they get it and they're like oh I like this you know you're probably going to be friends with them you know to me it's one of those things what I call a friendship test movie like you meet a new person you start hanging out uh-huh. you know you you have a you have a movie night you pick out a movie and you pick out a movie like Repo Man and if they get it you know you're and if you like Repo Man you show it to someone else and they get it immediately you guys obviously have a lot in common all right but but your average person is going to be like what the hell is this. <laughs> and well, uh, I think I was like that at first, but then you know, once you think about it, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I kind of get it. And if I watched it again, I, I would understand a lot more of where it's going and you know what it's trying to do and what you know what Alex's vision for the movie was all about. Um, well, because it's like it's that. a really it's you, you don't it's very unpredictable because uh, you there's no way no way. That you can predict anything that's going to happen next. No, not not at all. And uh, but like I said, it, it's a movie about big ideas. That's very, that in itself is very lowbrow, and it's, it's sort of a grimy hangout film. Like it's it's almost like if Dazed and Confused was about gutter punks and had a sci-fi B story. That's kind of what Repo Man is. It's like 
I'm, think of think of days to days to get used, mm-hmm. but instead of about instead of about, instead of about Texas stoners, it's about California gutter punks with a little bit of a sci-fi backstory, and that gives you the kind of the vibe you'll get from Repo Man. Yeah, yeah, that's it. There's Repo Man. Ah, uh, well, let's move on. Let's uh, let's move on to Men at Work. Now, both of these, you know. Movies have the word men in or man or men or whatever. It's not man at work. It's men at work. Uh, it has nothing to do with the band men at work. Um, it only has to do with some with a sign that says men at work. It was a 1990 film starring Emilio Estevez and his brother Charlie Sheen. It was written and directed by Emilio Estevez. Also, not to be confused with the TV show. Men at Work that was done by TVS in uh, was it 2013, 2012 to 2014, starring Danny, Danny Masterson. So this is not the TV show. The TV show has nothing to do with the movie. So, I mean, Repo Man, Men at Work, just very sort of generic titles. Yes. And they're nothing to do with any of the other ones that may be closely related to but, but there sure is some weird o- but there is some weird overlap between the two movies themselves. I mean, they both have Emilio Estevez in blue collar jobs, right? In California, yeah. And uh, they have a kind of a, they kind of have a wacky cast of characters. Yeah. Um, that there is kind of an older character who sort of st- steals the show in Minute Work. And mm-hmm. this is one thing that I found kind of funny is both posters have Emilio Estevez front and center with his arms crossed, looking like he's over it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, looking like this very scowl, like okay, um, you know, yeah, I, I'd agree, <laughs> but his his characters are a little bit, you know, different. Uh, like him and and uh, his brother. Well, he plays Carl Taylor. Oh no, Charlie Sheen plays Carl Taylor. Emilio Estevez plays James Saint James. <laughs> That's his name, yeah. James Saint James. <laughs> He's got a little bit of a punk rock quality to it too. Yeah. And I, I always wondered if Carl was a play on the fact that Charlie's real name is Carlos. Uh, yeah, possibly. But originally, I know that when he wrote the movie, he did not have uh, Charlie is is you know in mind for the for the you know for that character. Um, well, anyway. and as much and as much as like Repo Man is about punk culture in a lot of ways, uh, I mean, it works kind of about California burnout surfer culture. Yeah, uh, well, because that's what like I, their late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, because that's what I want to say is like both of them wanted to open up like a surf shop because it's like by this you know California uh, beach like surfer town and they want to open up a surf shop, but to work regular jobs they're just working as garbage men, right? Like they're just garbage mm-hmm. men, and I think like um, you know, and, and that was a common theme for like a lot of movies. I think like uh, not not just opening up a surfer shop, but like. Two guys following their dream to do something because, like Encino Man, what is it? They wanted to open up like a, a like a exotic pet store or something like that. Something like that, yeah. I've not yeah. seen Encino Man probably in twenty years. Yeah, so. and then in uh, what was it? Um, uh, no, I guess it was that movie. I guess it was Summer School. The two guys. I guess they just wanted to. They didn't want to open up a store, did they? They wanted to just. They were they just horror they, movies. They want to make their yeah. own horror movie or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Chainsaw and Dave, yeah. Yeah. But it's that uh, kind of thing where there's like two buddies and they're kinda like you know, they're, just they're kinda like coasting through life, right? Yeah. 
But I, before we continue, I have to say they, but they both uh, Charlie and Emilio in this movie have a couple sweet mullets. Oh yeah. So you definitely know this movie exists in like the late eighties, early nineties, because like they they have some for some reason they've got some serious like um, some mullets in this movie. It is some nineties mulletude going on for sure. Yeah. Um. So Carl and James are two pleasant but unambiguous garbage men. Carl has. Wait, tell- I, I think you mean I think you mean uh, un, unambitious, right? Because. Because uh, unambiguous would be something entirely different. Ambitious. I cannot read. <laughs> it's okay. I cannot read. Un- I, 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 I couldn't let that one go. I do apologize. Unambiguous. No, yeah, I'm totally ambi- different. <laughs> unambitious. Carl has a telescope, which he observes his neighbors. One evening, he sees a man giving a female neighbor a hard time. As she leaves, he shoots the man with a pellet gun. He, meaning Carl. Hiding, uh, he and James miss uh, two men strangling the man that got shot, leaving with the body. Uh, When he, the guy that got shot, appears in a can on their route, uh, afraid to hide the body, fearing they may be implicated in the death, trying to crack the case, they spy on the woman, join up with a slightly majorly crazed Vietnam vet, kidnap a pizza man, and help to protect the ecology. So that was written by John Vogel. I know that was really complicated, but basically they... they're, well, no. they're. I mean, it's it's obvious well, they're well, observing their neighbors, but yeah, they... Well, they, well, 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 well let's just kind of start the discussion there. One of the problems with Minute Work is there's too, there's almost too much plot for what the movie's trying to do. Yeah. Like, it is, it is, it is actually harder to explain than Repo Man, which is kind of amazing when you think it's a much simpler film and execution. Um, right. And I think Emilio really wanted to to show like you know like toxic waste. Like the whole thing is about this company that is you know uh, you know illegally dumping toxic waste and wanting to expose this company or whatever uh, because he's you know he's getting like backdoor deals. He's paying people off so he could do this kind of thing, right? The CD character is playing off, but then it like evolves into this whole like murder thing and like there's too many other characters involved too many other like plots and subplots and um it just gets you know then the pizza man gets involved and it just yeah. gets to be too much yeah and i mean it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty easy watch like i don't know if you have your your history with minute work but for me this seems like it was a movie that was constantly on cable when i was a kid it was i never i never saw it, it on like hbo but i saw it on like WGN, like the Chicago yeah. Movie Network, and like TBS, a lot mm-hmm. growing up. Um, right, and there's there's nothing super offensive about it. You can, it basically can be aired with very few edits. Mm-hmm. Um, so it got played a lot, and uh, but and it's and it's just kind of a thing you can casually watch. Cause, I mean, it's not super funny, but it's got a few it's got a few good comedy bits in it. It just yeah. kind of moves along at a good clip. But the yeah. story is really convoluted for what it is. It is, and it's it, it is kind of a goofball sort of comedy. It doesn't have a lot of like cursing. There's not a lot, not a huge amount of violence, but um, yeah, and it, it's just you know the funniest stuff to me. You know when when uh, we haven't even mentioned the fact that they get you know they they're so bad at their job that they get put when with an observer. Uh, who is this, you know, character that that's the Vietnam, you know, the crazed Vietnam vet, which is played by Keith David, the great Keith David, great Keith you'll David. know Keith David from they live and a ton of voiceover work. 
Uh, Keith David. Well, I mean, he um, did Ken Burns' jazz voiceover work, so if yeah. you've watched any of that kind of stuff, he has a really distinct, deep voice. Um, this is Keith. Da- I can't. I can't do it. This is Keith no. David. But yeah, I mean, it, once you hear his voice, you're like, oh, that's him. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's got this kind of it's, it's got this kind of slightly menacing baritone to it. it yeah. It's a very pleasing voice, and Keith David is secretly a very very funny man. So yes. he works. He works very well in this movie. Yeah. Um, he's like, not, he's to see, be, not to be confused with David Keith, who was an officer and a gentleman. No, no, no. Two no. very different people. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keith David again. He was he he star, he co-starred in They Live with with Roddy Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Community. Uh, he was the voice of of the comic book character Spawn. Anytime anytime you hear yes. Spawn's voice in yeah, video they, games it, or cartoons or. Uh, Stuff like that. That's Keith David. Yeah, the HBO spawn uh, too as well. If you watch any of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's he's got a very recognizable voice, but he's a very very funny guy. He's got great comedic timing, mm-hmm. good dramatic actor too. But really, his, his best quality is how is how funny he is, and that's what he's really the secret weapon of a minute work. I, like, everything I, that works really well about this movie is almost solely involved with him bantering mm-hmm. with Charlie Sheen and, and, and Emilio. Yeah, it's great. I mean, from from when they first meet, you know, and then, you know, then they're in the the diner in the restaurant, and and he, you know, he has that whole line about you don't mess with another man's fries. You know, it's just like, and it's so perfectly delivered that <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's just it's just really awesome. I just I don't want to repeat the line, but because um, it's just one of those scenes. It's just like great. Otherwise, we'll just like keep quoting the movie, but. Uh, I mean, he even, you know, because he talks about he hates cops. He even at one time breaks the fourth wall and, you know, looks at the cameras like, I hate running cops, too. You know, and so, when he yeah. breaks the fourth wall and says that because it's been it's a, it's that it's a rule of threes. You know, you say something once and it's it's kind of funny. You say it twice and it's a, it falls a little flat. But on the third time, it becomes incredibly funny. And this uses that. Yeah, because it's the third time is like a slightly different way because it's you know yeah yeah and he truly and he actually stops and again he breaks the fourth wall and it's it's honestly it may be the biggest laugh in the entire movie yes uh and like I said that stuff works and uh and to me it's like I said when they're when when they're when they're in like the room when they first kidnap the pizza guy because the pizza guy sees the body and things to me all that stuff is the best stuff in minute work yeah Uh, not to mention that the pizza delivery man was played by uh, a guy named Dean Cameron, who was the guy that I mentioned before in summer school who wanted to make the horror movie. That's true. Movie. Yeah, yeah, same yeah. guy. A little bit um, of connect- We really should do summer school on the show at some point. Yeah, we need to do summer school. I, lo- I love that movie, too. But, um, but no, I mean, it's... Because uh, that was another movie that was on, like, a lot, you know, because it's another yes. one of these weird goofball comedies. But it's also... It's also so ingrained in our culture as well um, that a lot of people don't talk about like much anymore. But uh, but really, the um, the whole movie there was a lot of stuff that worked, and then there was a lot of stuff that like didn't work. I felt like the villain was very he was almost like too cartoonish, you know, like too much of yeah. a you know the 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 guy that played Maxwell Potterdam the third. I mean, he's yeah, the, the same the guy. CEO, yeah. I mean, he was the same guy in The Fly, right? That played the the you know the magazine editor mm-hmm. in The Fly. Um, but then this movie, he's like such a cornball character. You know, he's just yeah. His his actor's name is John Getz, and it was just like 
I don't know. I felt like it's a little bit too much. I don't think it's like really his fault. I think it's just like the way that the, it was written. And then another thing too, I'll just uh, is the stuff that I really liked is like the banter between like them and the the cops that are watching after him because there's these two cops that are like you know riding on a bicycle. You know, they're riding on bicycles and they're like, oh, I got my eye on you, you know, kind of thing. And they're, it's hilarious that that whole, you know, shtick between them two. But like middle of the movie, they get tied up on the kids like, you know, uh, merry-go-round, yeah, yeah. merry-go-round thing. And then like that joke's over. Like yeah. there's no more of that character or, the, or that dynamic anymore. You know, it's just like, oh, they're just. They're kind of like written out of the movie at that point. Yeah, the, the plot almost gets in the way of this movie. Yeah. It really does. Like, it actually drags the movie down. Mm-hmm. Like, if it had been more of a hangout movie, if it had been become more of a, just a kind of spending time with, like, Charlie Sheen and Emilio and, and you know, Keith, I mean, it, you, it would it would be a, it'd be a better movie. Cause well, because movie, the whole... As great as that stuff is, everything else kind of drags it down. Because the whole movie takes place in about a... 24 hour period or something like that yeah right? it's like almost it's all, it's all it's almost a one crazy night movie it's almost yeah. one of those it is it is because it starts off like uh it's all like it's two days because you start off one yes. day you kind of go through a day in the life and then like the next day is like when all the shenanigans like really happens yeah yeah um and then you you know so yeah really like two days but yeah it almost is that the the most of the movie is that second day where all the the crazy stuff happens yeah but the stuff that works is like watching Charlie and, and Emilio collect, collect garbage and, and and be bros and hang out or and then watching them kind of bicker and banter with Keith David and uh, and so all that stuff is fun and then that's that's about half the movie and the other half mm. of the movie is really the plot and the plot just kind of grinds it down to a halt. Whenever it pops up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, at one point, the, like, the, the the captain of the police squad was involved, and then he wasn't involved. It's like, he's in one scene, and then that's it. And then yeah. you could involve, to me, it, they could have written it where the cops could have been involved, you know, the two cops that were after them, very, like, in a very, like, unique kind of way or whatever like they know something that's going on or they know, you like, know like maybe in the in the end they end up helping the heroes like they kind of get some an arc where they come around and they end up helping the heroes at the end by exposing the helping expose the corruption yeah but the movie the movie's got a very shaggy dog quality which is a phrase we use a lot on the show for these kind of video store staples mm-hmm. but to me, and, then there's, they, and then there's even that whole subplot between him and then the other uh like garbage men yeah, the uh, rival garbage. The rival man. garbage man, and then like, and one the, of them is a white Rastafarian for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like like why why is that white dude with dreadlocks wearing like a Mother Africa medallion? Like I mean, right? It's uh, like I mean to me, it's like a weird detail that should at least be set up for a joke or like some sort of like character death, but really it's just like a visual thing that's never commented on, never extrapolated on. Is not used for any sort of joke. Or or, there. or include him in the plot somehow. Include him in yeah. like you know, like you said, like ex- and exposing all this stuff or doing something or like whatever. Uh, yeah, because yeah. they're, they're like their rivals. They, they cause a lot of trouble, and then the movie just forgets about them mm-hmm. completely. Yeah, just like the police chief. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, and to me, I think one of the one of the biggest things, and and don't get me wrong, I like this movie and I think that it's funny and if it's on TV, like I'll probably watch it. But one of the things that I think 
the reason that it is not more memorable and more stuck in people's minds. And as I watched this movie, I finally figured it out. I was like watching it. And then after that, after about a day, I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? The ending. All it, it, it basically, it has this very cartoon, like a super cartoony ending, like even more cartoony than Repo Man. And it just gets like really goofy ending. And then there's no like resolve. There's no like other scene to show like you're you're just stuck there at that final scene at the uh at the dump and that's yeah, it the, and then the movie the crumb, just then the credits the crumb, roll before yeah. all the corrupt cops show up and actually just kill them for what they've done yeah yeah like, it has no real resolution right uh like i i said it in our little pre-production meeting as we were starting this like repo man is, or excuse me minute work is a good example of a movie that 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 i find funny that's not actually very good. Uh, like, like it makes yes. me laugh, but it is. I can say objectively, this movie is not good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it has funny. Like we said before, like it has funny scenes, but it's not. It's not very good. But let me ask you this: before yeah. you watch Minute Work, what did you really remember about it? For me, what I remembered was all the Garbage Man stuff and the stuff with Keith David, and I literally had forgotten everything else about it before I re before I rewatched it for this show. I. I remembered that they that he shot the pellet gun. I remember they're watching the murder and stuff like that. I remember that, and then I remember him having to rescue the girl, like in the in the barrel at the end. Uh, like he had to, you know, find her, and that's what I remember. And I remember the cops getting like, like you yeah. know, tied up on the merry-go-round, and that's about all that, I remember. Yeah, I mean, I remember kind of, and I remember kind of Keith David kind of being like a funny character, but like. You don't really see him even that that like I said that beginning stuff the first half when they're watching him and then he just becomes kind of like almost like part of their crew you know instead of being this like where they're fighting against each other or whatever he just like kind of becomes involved with all of those shenanigans of what's going on yeah which you know? which again is one of the things I like about the movie I like that it's, it's unconcerned with that part of it yeah because again any anything other that's not just like just like them them like bantering and being fun is really wasted time in this movie. Yeah. Uh, like to me it's telling that the only the only real cultural like imprint I can think of that this movie's had on society and pop culture mm-hmm. is the golf clap scene. Oh yeah, the golf clap. Yeah. yeah. Golf clap? Golf clap. Yeah, like like <laughs> yes. like, like like that's that's the thing our generation remembers from this movie really is well, the golf that's, clap. And that's the stuff that works. That's I mean, that's yeah, exactly. That, that's the great stuff that got kind of, like I said, got taken away at the end. Like I, t- I, I tell you, if you go to search for like gifts of this movie, I always, I always think a good way of thinking about what's a, something's cultural impact in in the 21st century in 2021. Yeah. Go search for gifts of it and see what comes up. What right. will likely come up is the golf clap and maybe Keith David saying, "I hate cops." <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that's it. That's the only cultural impact I think this movie has, has had, and really more so the golf clap scene. Right. Well, I mean, I'm just glad that it had a cultural impact of some of of some kind. Uh, but yeah, it's just like all the rest of it is like kind of forgettable. I mean, well, I mean, and I, mean, I still enjoy it. It's, it's like yeah. you said, I, I enjoy it. It makes me laugh, but it's objectively not good. Well, the other thing it does is that you know it kind of shows uh, you know Charlie Sheen's comedic side. Um, yes. I mean, and, and this really shows. I mean, I know Charlie Sheen mostly plays himself in like a lot of movies or whatever, but it's you know because. You could argue that the same character that he played in Ferris Bueller's Day Off is the same character in like Major League, you know, or whatever. Uh, it might not be the same character from 
um, you know, like Wall Street or whatever. But this really shows his non-serious side. And you see that more of like the, um, you know, um, the TV show that he was in, the, the, you know, the other one about men, right? Two two, two and a half half men. You know, where he's playing, it's almost like this, you know, he's not the same character, but yeah, it's that same sort of dry, deadpan, comedic sense. Well, and again, it's and it's fun to watch him banter with his brother. It's fun to watch Emilio and Charlie just kind of be brothers and hang out. Mm-hmm. Like that's that stuff works. Yeah. You know, like if someone asked me if if Men at Work was a was a good movie, I'd say no. If they asked me if I liked it, I would say yes. <laughs> right. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I I get that. I get that. I get it. I get it. I get it. All right. Oh, we never we never did the thing where we talk about like we have to go back to Repo Man. Any well, yeah, scenes? Let's, let's, any scenes you would fast forward or rewind? Oh uh, well, as far as Saver, I, I actually love most of Repo Man, so I can't really pick a, a favorite scene. Uh, but I will say, if it was up to me, I, I would have the ending be a little bit shorter. Okay. Because we didn't really talk about the ending very much. But uh, and I don't, well, I don't want to ruin movies. it because there's probably a lot of people yeah. that haven't seen it. And, and, yeah, and exactly. I, I don't even know how to explain the ending, to be quite honest. Well, uh, well what I will say is this: the flying. I would have I would have cu- cut it off at the beginning of the flying scene. Yeah. And let the have the flying scene not be nearly as long as it was. I see. Okay. You know, I would basically cut it like right at the beginning of the flying scene, like like when it when we have lift off. Yeah. And you realize what's happening. I would have just smash cut to credits. Okay, and I think that would have been—I think that would have been a punchier ending, right? But that's just—that's just all being like armchair quarterbacking it. Yeah. Besides that, I, I like I said I—I've—I I've, can't look at Repo Man objectively. I like so much of it. Um, like I said, so much of it makes me laugh, and I just—I like hanging out with those dirtball characters. I really do. So, mm-hmm. I, so I, I wouldn't cut much, but that's the one little bit I would slice off. Yeah, I—I I mean, I didn't—I didn't like the ending. Um. Um, like robbery shootout kind of deal. Uh, it's really, it's pretty dark. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is really dark. I mean, I, you know, it, it, I, I understand, but it's almost like the characters. I mean, there's death, but it's almost like they're unmoved by it. I guess even in the, yeah. in the following scenes about it. So yeah. it's almost like the director didn't go. Okay, remember now, bud, you just got back from the shooting where bud died. You know, so you're, you know. So you're all really concerned, that sort of thing. So it felt like that's where I felt like where it was like sort of disjointed because it was almost like you were doing one scene and everybody was just that character for the scene, but it, it didn't really make connective sense between all the different stuff. Well, and, and Bud doesn't die. Bud doesn't die in the, in the in the grocery store scene, but but Otto's friends do. Otto's friend yeah. does. Uh, Otto's friend. I thought he got. I thought Otto got shot. I thought he. Anyway, uh, but no, but but Bud Bud is injured, and uh, but at the, he's still alive at the end of the movie. Um, okay, all right. Well, maybe not. But uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, I know his friend. Really, I know his friend got. Um, it, it does. It, have, yeah. it does have a real. It does have a real cynical, cynical quality to it. Yeah, like uh, you know, because I mean, and it's and it's it's meant to be darkly funny, and to me it is. But I mean, I, I can I can see why that would rub people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So I I, I I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I know it's billed. I think if you look at it, most, uh, you know, describe it as a dark comedy, which is kind of. Yeah. Strange. I mean, like I said, it's, 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 
it's it's grimy. And yeah. I mean, it's it's not it's not a mean movie. Don't even, it's not it's not a mean film, right? But it is a cynical film. Mm-hmm. And if I were to savor any any stuff, uh, I like the more stuff about like the repo man, like the repo code, and you know that oh, yeah. sort of stuff, like the actual repo man kind of stuff. Because I thought it was funny too how you know he tells them all this repo code, but then he goes out with light and light like pretty much like throws all those out the window right like yeah basically like, there's no rules like basically well, you make up your well, own it, stuff it's all it's all bs yeah, yeah right like in, uh, yeah that's just it man there's no it's again it goes back to gritty grimy characters just existing in a world right. and, and like i said to me it's not it's not a movie that makes logical sense but it's a movie that if you feel it yourself you can really vibe with right yeah, but wouldn't you like to hang out like in that like little trailer all day with those characters? You know yeah, just dr- dr- drink beer and be shitty to people. Yeah, that sounds like fun to me. <laughs> right, just be mad at the world, be cynical about the whole like all yeah. this stuff. Like, yeah, yeah it's kind of who I am now at this point in my life at at, at forty two years old. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, what, so, so, what would you savor about about minute work? Um, like I said, I, I love the scene, uh, like you, like you mentioned, like the golf lab scene, uh, the fries, you know, scene was one of the funniest, you know, scenes we, we, we've talked about them all. I don't know if there's yeah, one that really, I like more than the other with ones, Keith David, yeah. anything with Keith David, I, I just love, I wish he was in more stuff. He's, he's so awesome. Yeah. He, I wish he would have done more comedies too. He's, he's so great. Um, so, and, and, and as far as like fast forward, uh, I just fast forward through the whole ending. Like as soon as they get to the, you know, to the park. Yeah, like as soon as they get to the thing. Like, yeah, I can I can just stop watching here. That's thanks. Yeah, the, yeah. The 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 the, the minute the, the minute the cops get sidelined, you can almost you can almost stop the movie. Like you'll 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 miss out on on the great on the great line of Keith David saying he hates rent cops. Yeah, that's literally all. That's literally all you're gonna miss from like the last what is it forty minutes of the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, even if you stopped at I Hate Rent-A-Cops, you can pretty much still, stop the movie there. It would still be, a, yeah, and, and you would, like, it would be a, probably a, a whole star better as far as if you wanted to sign it a star rating, you know? Yeah. But um, but again, I, it still makes me laugh. I still like it, but yeah, like it's it's not good. Yeah. Well, let's, so, yeah, let's get on to our. Uh, well, I was gonna say, what's obviously the other question is we have to do the video store question. Oh. Okay, Ryan. So, if you were going to rent these for the video store to have yourself an Emilio Estevez like marathon, right? Would you get them back early or would you keep them an extra day? That's like a tough question. Uh, I, I mean, I might, I might keep Repo Man just because I'm still confused by it and I want to watch it again now that I know about it. Uh, I'd probably return them at work. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna surprise you and say I would keep both of them. You keep both uh, of them. I do. I actually actually own Repo Man on Criterion Blu-ray. I, it's yep. a movie that, like I said, I I I I quite enjoy, and mm-hmm. I like revisiting. Uh, not not a lot, but every couple of years I like to go back to. And mm-hmm. Repo Man has, ju- I mean, excuse me, excuse me, Minute Minute Work has just enough stuff to make me laugh, where oh, I would okay. watch those scenes again. <laughs> right. I like I like I like those particular scenes enough where I would I would go back and watch those again before returning it. Yeah. I, I mean, I still like the idea of, you know, uh, of Carl and James, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, I, I, that they're, you know, just regular average, you know, Joe types that are out there that, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, they just seem like everybody's against them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, everybody's so against them or whatever. Um, 
But yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun movie. Yeah. All right. So let's talk yeah. about let's talk about trivia and factoids. Written Repo Man in 1984. No special effects were used to make the Chevy Malibu glow white parked at the repossession lot. Instead, the car was completely coated with 3M reflective paint at approximate price of $600 per bucket. And I'll say in high definition, you can really tell. It yeah. looks like they just painted it white. It looks like, like that was, remember that AHA video? That's what it looked like. It looked like it was like yeah. a cartoon like almost like you know, kind of like washed out. Well, like, 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 well, like, like it was rotoscoped. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, when the Asimov character is in the phone booth using a coding device to talk to Leela, his dialogue is played backwards. I mean, that's pretty obvious. The scrambled yeah. voice is someone reciting a poem from the book Alice in Wonderland. So, therefore, you don't have to go back and go listen or play it backwards or whatever. So that's basically all it is. Rebo Man's code is based on an amalgamation of wisdom given to Alex Cox when he was serving in real life as a Repo Man. So, there you go. When Light and Otto are working together, they break every rule of Bud's Repo Code. <laughs> yeah. Like I said. Um, the company that makes the Christmas tree air fresheners was one of the sponsors of the movie. That's that's one of the fun little details about it. It's all, it's all, all the Christmas tree air fresheners you see in it. Yep. Uh, the budget was only $1.5 million, estimated, and gross was $3.7 million. And, and, and technically, in Hollywood terms, that is a success. You know? If you yeah. can double the budget, right? Not just, like, meet the budget, like, oh, we broke even. Like, double it, right? So that would have been, like, $3 million. Then it would have been a success. But 3.7, not too bad. Yeah. I mean... But again, but again, what what really the legacy of this movie is really the soundtrack. The soundtrack sold very, very well. Well, yeah, I mean, it has had a huge cult following after that. Not just because of the soundtrack, because everything involved with Alex Cox and uh, you know all the other stuff, right? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a video store movie because I got to tell you, no one was watching this. No one who's really fond of it now saw it in the theater, right? Most likely, right? And a lot of people that you talk to that you run across, they have no idea about this movie that even exists, right? Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it three stars out of four. He said, I saw Repo Man near the end of a busy stretch on the movie Beat. Three days during which I saw more relentlessly bad movies during any comparable period in memory. Most of, the, of these bad movies were so cynically constructed out of formula ideas and quote-unquote commercial ingredients that watching them was an ordeal. Repo Man comes out of left field. It has no big stars, didn't cost much, takes chances, dares to be unconventional, is funny, and works. There is a lesson here. Mm -hmm. That's from Roger Ebert himself. Yeah, and he's right. I mean, it's a movie that's so unconcerned with being commercial. Um, exactly. Which is... And, and so, which is just like so punk, right? Yeah, you know, uh, it's, I mean, and it's amazing. I don't think it would have got made like without, you know, somebody like Cox or somebody like Michael Nesbeth who was like, you know, what can we do to get your vision across? Like, you know, if it would have been like commercial success, then they would have changed a whole bunch of stuff, right? Yeah. Like this didn't well, test well, or this doesn't test well. You got to do this, you got to do that, right? Yeah, when when you make a movie that small, you can get away with a lot, and. Yeah. and 
Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a movie that uh, would not would not exist if it had, had any more money put into it because people because people invest money into things would not let something this unabashedly weird mm-hmm. out, you know. Yeah, I mean, and Nesmith was the executive producer, so he's the one putting up the money that said like, get this done. You know, he's yeah. the one that's giving the art. So you can say what you want about the monkeys, but remember that about Michael Nesmith, okay? Yeah, Michael Nesmith was always a guy who was very much an artist integrity sort of guy. Yeah. So nothing but respect for for for, for him and his and his, his intent to put out good art into the world. No, definitely. Um, I, a couple of my friends, music friends, like. You know, love the monkeys and, um, you know, love all the stuff Michael Nesbitt uh, has been a part of. So he's he's one of uh, I know he's one of all my top list and one of my good friends, who, you know, wants to meet. Uh, Rotten Tomato score, 98 percent critics, 78 percent audience. Yeah, because I, like I said, I, I can see this, the, the, the audience score being pumped up by, by fan, people who just are fans of it, like myself. And but then it being brought down by casual people who just stumble across it. Like, oh, Emilio Estevez. I wonder what this is like. And they're like, again, what the hell is this? Or they, or they. I mean, on the surface, if you see him like Repo Man in the '80s, if it was more on just like the Repo stuff, that would have been you know different. But that would have been yeah. a completely different movie. Yeah, and and you can see bits of it in this movie. Like you can see that how you can have a very conventional movie that probably would have been really good. Yeah, if they had if they had gone that path with it, but it wouldn't have but been as memorable. Exactly. Um, it is ranked number seven on Entertainment Weekly's top fifty cult films of all time. That's probably fair. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty influential. I mean, it's definitely inspired a lot of people over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a standalone sequel based on an unproduced screenplay. That Cox called Waldo's Hawaiian Holiday, and uh, the movie was never made. So he published a graphic novel that was published in 2008. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've always meant to go and check it out, but I mean, to me, I I, I didn't like a lot of Alex Cox's later outputs. So I never looked. I never looked too hard into it. Yeah, well, I think that got released because on December 3rd, 2008. There was, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> another sequel was reported to be going into development with the working title Repo Chick. The story would be set in 2008, the resulting boom of a repossession that extends far beyond cars and homes. The bulk of the film was shot in front of a green screen with backgrounds filmed and composed in post-production. Universal sent Cox a cease and desist notice because he does not possess the rights to do an official sequel. But he ignored it since the film uses none of the characters from the original. The film premiered in September 8, 2009 at the Venice Film Festival and released on DVD in the UK and the US in February of 2011. And it sucks. I've seen it. Really? It's not, it's not good. Oh, well, no, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, just just knowing that it was, I mean, it was, it sounds like it was like a meant to be video shot on a green screen. I mean, it doesn't sound like that fantastic anyway. No, I mean it's definitely. I mean, I, I it's a, it's a. I mean, I, I appreciate you wanting to try to do something different and trying to be creative and innovative, but it's borderline unwatchable. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean it's 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 bad. Well, I just want to mention it just on the show, yeah. just well, no, to talk about to, it. Like, yeah. hey, this is out yeah. there. Well, but I mean, I'm, I'm, but up, no, but I, I'm glad that you have that yeah. that foresight to tell the audience like it may not be that great. 
Yeah, it's not. But but Repo Man, yeah, Re- Repo Man, yay, Re- Repo Chick, Repo Girl. No, no, no. okay. Uh, Men at Work, 1990. The original screenplay was tentatively titled Clear Intent and was written in the mid-1980s. Estevez came up with the idea while he was filming the 1985 movie St. Elmo's Fire. He says, I was living in a studio apartment in Santa Monica at the time, and I was up late one night sitting in the kitchen table working out some story ideas on a computer. All of a sudden, this trash truck came roaring down the alley under my window. It was 5 a.m., and it just struck me. No one had ever done a movie about trash men before. There you go. You pick up inspiration, like, anywhere. Um, at one stage, John Hughes was going to be producer and director. Probably would have been a very different film. Very much so. I agree. Uh, Estevez has stated, People come up to me on the street and say, Men at Work is the funniest movie I ever saw in my life. But, you know, I do have to question how many of these movies these people have seen. <laughs> at least he's self-aware. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said he has no intention of using... Uh, he had no intention of using his brother movie in the movie, but Sheen said he wanted uh, in after reading the script. He felt he needed a comedy at this point in his career. That's what uh, uh, Stevis said. And then he says uh, later that he wanted his brother... To sort of push the envelope and play the humor. Says he has a wonderful sense of humor, which really hasn't been put on film up till now. Uh, Charlie has a very dry sense of humor, very cynical, and out of that comes great, great humor. So, um, I agree. Um, The studio disliked the original ending, so shooting a new one resulted in 10 additional days of filming. So, which leads me to question, if we didn't like the ending at all, what was in the other ending that I wonder what could have been? Yeah, I've never actually heard about that. I may have to try to research that and figure out what that's all about. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's no special edition like DVDs that have like alternate endings or any of that kind of stuff. So I'm like, I, I wonder what that was all about. Was it better? Like, where where did it go from there? I wish we could like interview Emilio. Emilio tells about it or something like that. Like, what was supposed to happen? Like, what was uh, that all about? Uh, the music that was all done in the movie was, from Minute Work was by uh, a guy from the police, Stuart Copeland, the drummer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he also did the movie for another Charlie Sheen movie, which we talked about, Wall Street. And he also did the movie for See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, you can definitely hear it. Like when you use Stuart Copeland in his soundtracks, he used a lot of like, in this movie, especially a lot of like drum machines and stuff like that. But it's yeah. very. It's very creative, like drum scene sequences and stuff like that. It's very, very done very well. Yeah, I really the like the soundtrack. This one's pretty good, honestly. It's got it's got a real reggae bent to it. It's 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 nice. Oh yeah. Uh, James Emilio SFS locker contains a sticker for the Circle Jerks. Uh, of course, who started him in Repo Man? Yeah. So, if you notice closely, uh, the box office was nine million, and the gross was sixteen point two million. So, not quite double. It would have been 18 if it would have been double, right? Uh, Rotten Tomato score, 30% critics, 45% audience. Uh, I completely understand that and can't take question with that, honestly. Yeah. Uh, In 2017, his appearance... uh, Oh, it's a weird thing I found out about Emilio Estevez, because we're talking about Emilio. In 2017... His appearance in films was found to generate the highest 
return on investment on average of all Hollywood actors. So, which means that the amount they pay for him versus the amount that they get back on the movie, their return on the investment. Hmm. So, I mean, and he's like double like the next guy. I was like, what is this? Like, seriously? But yeah, that is this is very true. Interesting. Like, yeah. I'm not sure how to process that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, because he's been in uh, so many like good movies, I guess. Uh, you know, because he he does stuff um, and chooses well. Like like we said, Stakeout, that almost fi- Saint Elmo's Fire, Breakfast Club, Judgment Night. You know. And, and I think I think probably a lot of that probably has to do with the Mighty Ducks. Let's be, well, let's be honest. Well, and he, but I, I will I will say that I, I do think he has always been very thoughtful about what he chooses to do. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, he's clearly not just trying to cash in all the time. Right. He's not mm-hmm. just like taking roles to just take roles and make money into bankroll's career, right? Yeah. And he's really I, trying to be like which I appreciate. A, yeah. Well, I mean, and even he said that when he did Men at Work. He wanted really like he wanted to do kind of a comedy, but he wanted to, you know, say something well like with the environment and with like toxic waste and you know that sort of thing. And even the movie that he did, uh, that he, the latest movie that he wrote and directed uh, called The Public, um, which is you know um, basically like uh, talking about they were using a, a library for like homeless people to shelter them, and he's. You know, he plays this uh, guy to like help out this, the, you know, these homeless people or whatever. Yeah, to me, he seems like a very thoughtful guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I'm glad that he's had success. I'm glad that he's had that big mainstream franchise thing with the Mighty Ducks. I'm sure that's allowed him to bankroll like smaller projects. Like, I mean, he's one of those guys who I'm glad is still out there trying to do his thing. You know, to me, he's to me, he's to me, he's a video store icon, and I'm, I'm glad that he. Has been able to sustain a solid, lucrative career. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the guy, uh, I mean, he's been connected to a lot of Hollywood actresses, right? Like Mimi Rogers, Paul Abdul, you know. Yeah, I'm sure he's led a good life, and God bless him. (laughs) Uh, Right, right, right. So, uh, anyway, so... um, that that about does it. So what? So we have. To, what is our? Uh, what, what are we saying? What's my motivation? Um, uh, our did, did, our did suggestions. You have any right? recommendations? Recommendations. Yeah. Yes. Motivations. Recommendations. What is your recommendation to go along with this? I am going to choose um, a movie that he did in 1987 called Stakeout. So it's a, it's a fun one. Yeah, yeah, him and Richard Dreyfus. I mean, it goes along with that whole buddy thing, like him and Charlie Sheen, and like Minute Work, uh, where there's these yeah. two cops and they're you know they're they're staking out and and they're watching uh, something. So a lot of that reminded me of like Minute Work. And I, what's what's funny is that I always thought that he, you know, Estevez, like maybe he he did Minute Work because he did Stakeout. Um, but really, he had apparently. I guess he had the idea like way back, you know, when he did Saint Elmo's Fire. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really good, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's a pretty funny uh, uh, buddy cop film, I guess you would say. 
Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it has, uh, it stars, you know, like I said, Richard Dreyfuss, Emilio Estevez, Aiden Quinn, Madeline Stowe, Forrest Whitaker. And, I mean, Roger Ebert even gave it three stars, and it has a Rotten Tomato score, uh, critic score of 88%. So it, it, it's, it's a fun comedy. It really is. The sequel's terrible. Oh, yeah. Well, another, avoid stake, a, another stake? Another yeah. yeah, avoid another stake out. Yeah, it's not it good. It's terrible. Uh, but the original one, yeah, I'd recommend it, too. It's good. Yeah. Uh, now, for me, I'm not going to recommend it. I'm not going to recommend a movie of his. Okay. I'm going to recommend something that I think will go really well with Repo Man. Uh, there's a documentary about the West Coast punk scene that, ah. that introduces a lot of these bands. I see. It, it, came, out, it came out in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. I can't remember the exact year. But it's called Decline of the Western Civilization. And, and it features uh, Black Flag, The Circle Jerks, Fear, X... And other bands who were part of this like West Coast hardcore punk scene, and you see like the actual clubs, the the fans, the the shows, and it is a snapshot of a truly unique time in history. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. I recommend it to anyone who's interested in music movies, who's interested in documentaries, or who just loves punk rock. And again, that's called Decline of the Western Civilization. There's three of them. But the first one is all about like the the late seventies, early eighties hardcore West Coast punk scene. Mm-hmm. I thought um, I thought Black Flag was East Coast. I thought they were like from Baltimore. Well, um, well, no, Henry Rollins is Henry Rollins is from the East Coast. Black okay. Flag, Black Flag is a West Coast band. Okay, I see. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, because he, he he joined like Black Flag like later on, right? Like he yeah, wasn't he's the not, original he's not, singer. Yeah, yeah, he's not he's not actually in the the, the decline of the Western Civilization. It has one of their earlier front men, a guy named Robbie Reyes, who's in the decline of the Western Civilization. Like Henry Rollins is actually the I think he's the third front man of Black Flag, if I remember correctly. I see. Yeah, because back then, you know. You know, band band lineups changed quite a bit. You know, it was it was something that just was pretty frequent amongst those scenes because it's not like they were making millions of dollars. It was a pretty hard life. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But if you like the so. music of Repo Man, if you like the vibe of Repo Man, you've got you've got to see Decline of the Western Civilization. Uh, it's typically known as Part One now because like I said there's two other films, but the first one is all about like I said um, the punk bands that are pretty heavily featured in Repo Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ron Reyes did uh, was the lead singer uh, for mm-hmm. Black Fire between 1979-1980. Henry Rollins was the lead singer between 1981-1986. Mm-hmm. So, but even Keith Morris was before Ron Reyes of 1976-1979. So yeah, so they yeah, they, they've had they've they've had like four leads. Uh, Henry's just the one when they got the most well known. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. There was another guy, Des. Descandina, Mike, yeah, I've, uh, Mike Fallon, I've actually, know. I've actually met Descandina. Oh, have you? Um, yeah, he was mm-hmm. a rhythm guitar player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he he toured with a later version of the Misfits for a while, and they came through Nashville once. Right. And uh, of course, I had to beat him because that's a guy. He was like he was one of the early members of Black Flag. So of course, I wanted to meet him as someone who was integral to that early scene. Yeah, yeah, I think the only original member uh, current is uh, Greg Ginn. Yeah, that's a whole other story. That's a, that's a whole other podcast about that. Uh, not a good person, Greg. Ginn, uh, oh. allegedly. Um, allegedly. 
But uh, but anyway, so but yeah, if you like punk rock music and you want to learn more about, or you, if you're always been curious about like early punk rock and you want to know what it was like and why it's mm. why it's considered so romanticized by by guys like me, mm. Decline of the Western Civilization is is a great like starter kit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love Henry Rollins. Uh, I love his uh, you know solo band work because it was so sort of like alternative progressive you know what i mean because he mixed like jazz and fusion and and rock and and punk like yeah. in 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 rollins band and the few albums that they did and then you know i love henry rollins spoken word uh i mean yeah. i've even gone to see him live a couple times me too yeah I, I mean I, completely I've, awesome. I've, I've met him i've had correspondence with him uh well, like i've got his autograph hanging on my wall he's one of my heroes <laughs> uh, um, yeah so yeah but so, like I said, but that's a movie. If you've never seen it, or if you're curious about that whole world, it's a, like I said, it's a snapshot of a thing of a world that that doesn't exist anymore, and mm. it's really fascinating. It's so very different than where we are now in 2021. So, right. I, I I I recommend it. I think that if if you're interested, if you like documentaries, then it's one you definitely got to see. Right, right, right. Along with uh, what's that other documentary? Uh, Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Heavy Metal Parking Lot's a good one. Yeah. Actually, the second decline of the Western Civilization is really good. That's the one that's called The Metal Years, ah. which is all about eighties, which is all about eighties, uh, like like hair metal, and which is uh, pretty funny and fascinating in itself. All right. Uh, well, like I said, this is a whole this is a whole other podcast almost. Like we're getting yeah, we're we're, we're getting way off yeah. here. So we, we got to wrap it up. But anyway, I, I had a good time this week, Ryan. I'm I'm looking forward to the next one. Um, when we're where we're going to be talking about another actor we we quite like. Uh. He's had decidedly a bigger career than than Emilio. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about should we spoil it? it yeah, go ahead. On the go ahead. Go ahead. We're going to be talking about the great, the iconic Samuel L. Jackson. Oh yeah! Finally, 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 finally. I mean, I know he does Capital One commercials now, and you know, talks about like whatever. But I mean, the guy is from Chattanooga. He's from our home state here. Uh, like, and we just have to talk about, uh, some of the stuff that he's done and why he, you know, he, he could be in a movie like Quentin Tarantino film and also be, uh, a Jedi and he's just, he's just an all around badass, man. Yeah. Like he may be, he may be the, the, uh, the most, the, the coolest actor of a generation. Um, yeah. Like it's something that we've talked about trying to do a show on since the very beginning of this show, and we're, we're finally getting to it. Yep. We're going to be talking about one of his best roles and one of his lesser known roles. I think it's going to be a good time. But until then, I'm Matthew Estry. And I'm Ryan Acri. Go watch some movies, guys, and have a TV party tonight. Thanks for checking out this episode of Video Culture. You can check us out on Twitter at Video Culture 2. That's the number two for two guys talking about movies like Ryan and myself. And you can also check us out on Facebook. Just search for Video Culture Podcast. Also, be sure to stop by our our official website, video-culture.com. There we have the entire show archives, as well as articles about film. Yeah, so check us out. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, coming out with us, talk movies. Did you like the show? Do you hate the show? Do you like or hate the movies we talked about? Let us know. Come chat with us, and let's all watch movies together. you got in the trunk you don't want to look in there
Suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly somebody will say, like, plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp, out of the blue, no explanation. No point in looking for one either. It's all part of a cosmic unconsciousness. You eat a lot of acid, Miller, back in the hippie days? Put it on a plate, son. You'll enjoy it more. Couldn't enjoy it anymore, Mom. Mm-mm-mm. This is swell. What's this? <laughs> Charming friends you got there, Otto. Thanks. I made it myself. I had a lobotomy in the end. Lobotomy? Isn't that for loonies? Not at all. A friend of mine had one. I do my best thinking on the bus. That's how come I don't drive, see? You don't even know how to drive. I don't want to know how. I don't want to learn, see? The more you drive, the less intelligent you are. 